order to have a healthy relationship with someone, you have to trust them. What are the key components of trust, and how does this relate to our relationship with God? This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the Church, using the resources of the Kingdom of God. Today we are in Part 8 of our 12-part series called Putting on the Easy Yoke. Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, shows us what the components of trust are, how God has given us what we need to trust Him, and how Satan tries to deceive us into not trusting God. Here's Tori, continuing his teaching at Caravan Fellowship. I wanted to pick up where we left off before I went to Sri Lanka. We were talking about putting on the easy yoke, and we were talking about the process of transformation. I wanted to talk today about the essentials of relationships and the essential requirements of relationship. And I'll start out by saying I I believe you cannot have a healthy relationship with someone you do not trust. And just think about that. Have you ever tried to have a relationship with somebody you can't trust? It's very difficult to have a healthy relationship with someone you do not trust. That's because trust is the basis of a complete and healthy relationship. And that's why God requires trust. You see, God is interested in a relationship and he understands that it requires trust to have a healthy relationship. So it wasn't something that God just arbitrarily decided, well, faith is the basis of salvation, so therefore you must have faith. God saw and and designed really relationships so that trust would be the basis for a strong and healthy relationship. So then it follows that you really cannot have a healthy relationship with God unless you trust him. So I want to talk a little bit about trust today. Trust is made up of two ingredients. Now you'll find these all throughout the Bible. Respect is one of the ingredients and oftentimes it's translated in our Bibles as fear. Fear the Lord, for example, is one of those uh, things. You'll find that all throughout the Bible, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. So the first ingredient of trust is respect. Now, another way we could think of that is honor. Honor your parents, for example. Honor your father and mother. That's a form of respect. But respect also carries that idea of admiration. When you respect somebody, you admire them. Admiration is a, is a part of, of respect. Even fear, it's like awe. Something is awesome is something that you have awe about and you revere. You might even be a little bit frightened of something that you have awe about. For example, you in a competition, you could have, you could have a healthy respect 
for your opponent. If it's, say, a boxing match, a healthy respect means you know that if you don't stay out of the way of that right hand, it can really hurt you. That would be the concept of saying, man, that guy really has an awesome right hand. It's something that you go, whoa. Uh, you say, whoa. Um, and you take it seriously and its ability to harm you. The idea of respect is to have an admiration for a quality that you see in someone or an aspect or a characteristic that you see in someone. And admiration itself doesn't even require that you like the person. Again, if you, for example, are going to get in the boxing ring with somebody, you might actually admire their strength and their ability, but you don't have to like the person to have that sense of respect for them. So respect for one's ability, therefore, is not enough for a relationship. It's not a give you the full ingredient of trust. It only gives you part of what's required in trust. The second ingredient is confidence in the person's character. You're not going to trust somebody that you don't believe that even though they have the ability to do good, you don't believe they will do good. You have to have confidence not only in their abilities, but you have to have confidence in their character. And it's really another form of respect. It's respecting the character that they show. So on the one hand, there might be a, a sense of fear. I mean, you can have that for nuclear power. Or, you know, when I, we go running, sometimes we run by the substation, the REA substation. And if you've listened carefully, you can hear a hum. And as you get closer, if you go up to the gate, I've run up onto the entrance for that, and just stand by the gate with that big sign that says, do not go in here, and you hear that hum, it gives you a sense of awe. Electricity can really hurt you, but electricity is not something you trust. Why is that? It's because it doesn't have character. It's completely characterless. It doesn't make decisions. So the second ingredient in a relationship is confidence in the person's character. You will only have confidence in a person whose character you respect. Does that ring true? This is why so much in the Bible, God is revealing himself and his character to people. That's why Jesus was a representation that God used to speak about himself in order to give people confidence in his character. The resurrection from the dead is giving confidence in his ability. And when you combine those, you have every reason to trust God because of his character and his ability. So you have to have confidence in both of those. If you don't think somebody has good intention towards you, you really won't trust them, right? Now, there's another aspect to that. And this is the two aspects of character. So character, you can break into two ingredients of itself. So just to use an analogy of a, like a cake mix, I do 
simple stuff. If it comes in a box and you add eggs or milk or something like that, you know, it's just like, say it's two ingredients. You take the stuff from the box and you put milk in it. Well, if you look at the box, it says there's other stuff that went into that. And it's the same thing with confidence and character. You might know somebody who has good intent toward you, but you have seen them to be wishy-washy. They might, we call them floppers, <laughs> flip-floppers in politics. So you not only need to believe that they have good intent toward you, but that they will maintain that good intent under all circumstances. That's integrity. The integrity of something is that it doesn't change throughout its entire lifetime. Or it's, if you have integrity in a piece of material, that means all of the material has the same characteristics and quality. You don't have a bad spot, a bad link in the chain, for example. That chain is of low integrity if you have a bad link. And the char somebody's character, if they have good intent, and you can trust that it will continue under all circumstances, that's integrity of character. So in order to trust somebody, you have to believe they have good intent. You have to believe that they will maintain that good intent under all conditions. And you have to believe that they have the ability to carry out the result of that good intent. Does that ring true? I think one of the perfect illustrations of trust is when the little child is going to jump into their daddy's arms. Daddy's saying, jump. In order for them to actually do that, they have to believe that dad is strong enough to catch them and that dad won't go, ho, 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 and pull back. I, when Adele was little once, we played that game a lot. But she got a little overconfident, and I wasn't paying attention. And one time she says, Dad, catch! And she jumped. It's like, whoa! You know, I managed to grab her just before she went down. I'm like, my goodness, you have to let me know if you're going to do that so I can get ready. But um, she was a little overconfident in my ability. So trust requires respect for a person's ability, respect for their intention, and confidence in the integrity of their character. Okay, so this could be good information. It helps us understand the dynamics of relationship, but you may be wondering, what does this have to do with the easy yoke? Maybe not, maybe you figured it out. But I believe that this is an important aspect of discipleship in Jesus, because this is one of those three areas, one of the two main areas, or the integrity aspect of, of intention, it are the things that people struggle with. That is one of the main areas of deceit that Satan uses to deceive us. Okay, Questioning one of those three ingredients is his main tool. So think about Eve, for example. We won't take the time to turn there. But what was it that the serpent came to Eve with? What was the first statement recorded out of his mouth? Well, I don't know if it's the first, but 
the thing, the, the part that she, what tempted her. Did he really say this? And she said, yep, he really said that, didn't she? He goes, yep, this, and she repeated what he said. Well, we better just turn there. So this is in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, verse 1. He said to the woman, has God really said, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, that's not true. You will not die. But now here, he could just say, yeah, God's a liar. He didn't tell you the truth, okay? But there's a subtle, uh, a subtle lie that comes next that is a lot easier to fall for. It's just like, oh, it's, it's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I mean, you don't easily win arguments that way. So what you have to do is you have to put in doubt something that the person hadn't really contemplated. And so here's the basis upon which they would obey God in the first place. Is their trust in what? His good intention towards them. So look at this. God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There's a grain of truth here, right? They will know good and evil like God knows good and evil, not to the full extent, but in a way they don't know good and evil now. And you see, God intended, now I'm getting off on a tangent, so I better not go there, but God intended for mankind to allow God to be the definer of good and evil. He wanted us to trust him in that area completely. Here's the thing. Satan said, God is holding out on you. He's keeping back something that is good because his intention is not good towards you. That's the implications here. Now, let me ask you a question here. Do you trust that what God wants for you is better than you want for yourself? Do you trust that what God wants for you is better than what you want for yourself. Intellectually, all right. So emotionally, we struggle with that sometimes, don't we? It's easy to say yes, but let me ask you this. When you have a desire that goes against what God wants for you, do you go, oh, well, God's way is better, so I don't want that. I mean, that's not what goes through our mind. It's easy to assent to that mentally, but emotionally, we feel like, ah, we really want this. Yeah, but. So when you hear yeah, but, that's a lack of trust in God's intention towards you. When, when you're facing something that you know God doesn't want you to do. Just think about this. I remember, and I've used this example before, when I was growing up. You know, we'd read the teachings of Jesus and he'd say, when somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And I would hear from adults, yeah, but God doesn't want you to be a doormat. What's, what's the message there? The message is that that's not really what's good for you. But Jesus was saying 
that the reality of the universe is in favor of turning the other cheek. We have a hard time with some of those things. Do you think to yourself that God's way is better than your way? Well, sometimes we think that, but oftentimes we're saying, yeah, but. Here's another question that can reveal a lack of trust. This is one that I've struggled with, and I've heard other people express this in some way. When you sin, when you do something that you know is wrong, and you, and you believe God is disappointed, do you think that God is going to get you? There is a sense of impending doom sometimes that we have, wondering, when's that shoe going to drop? God's going to get me. And then, do you look at the next bad thing that happens to you and say, yep, God is punishing me for these things. Now, the Bible does teach us about God's discipline. It's always good for us. You see, when we have these fears, what we're fearing is not what comes from love, right? We're not fearing that, well, God has my best in mind, and therefore he's going to help discipline me so that I don't struggle with this in the future. We're thinking, if we're thinking God's angry, God is vindictive, He's going to get his pound of flesh. He's going to get his revenge or whatever it is. We are not trusting God's good intent and particularly the integrity of his good intent under all circumstances. Even when we sin, God wants what is good for us. That's why, by the way, John said, if you confess your sin, God is faithful. That's integrity. You can place your faith in it. Sometimes we think God is out to get us. Other times we think he's just trying to keep something good from us. In either case, it's a lack of trust, and we will never be able to have a healthy relationship with God until we can trust his intention toward us and believe that it's there under all conditions, under all circumstances, and that he is big enough to carry that intention out. Now for me, I've told many of you heard my story, not all of you maybe, but the thing that I struggled with, when Tom Heidinger said, why don't you give your life to God? The thing that I was struggling with is, yes, I believed God could save me. I believed in his power but I did not believe in his good intent toward me. And I started without a relationship with God. I can tell you that without a good relationship with God on the basis only that God had the right to rule. And he had to take me through a journey to teach me of his good intent and the consistency, the integrity of that good intent. So think about the last time you made a choice in your life that went against what you knew was God's will for you. Now, ask yourself this question. How'd that work for you? You know, I lived by the pewter rule, you know, the golden rule. Do unto others as, they, as you would have them do unto you. I lived by the pewter rule. Do unto others before they do unto you. And I basically figured that if you strike first, you don't give them a chance to strike you. And that was, by the way, a respect for their right hand. But 
it didn't work so well. And the idea of actually turning the other cheek, just think about the alternatives, the escalation. I mean, it goes nuclear pretty quickly these days. So I know that when I operated in a way that was not according to God's will, it didn't end well. It never ended well. And sometimes it takes a while, days, weeks, years. But when it does end, it's never good. But that's not God getting his revenge on you. Any more than cavities are the dentist getting his revenge on you for not brushing. I think that God is sorryful when we experience consequences. He falls with us like he falls with the sparrow. You know, it says that not a sparrow falls without the Heavenly Father. So, I want to give you a challenge this week. I want you to take Jesus' prayer and make it your own. What was Jesus' prayer I'm talking about in the garden? Not my will, but yours. Okay? It's a simple prayer, but I'm going to put it in a little different language. Each time you're tempted with a desire that goes against what you know God wants for you, pray this simple prayer. God, I know your ways are not my ways, and I know you love me, so help me to choose your will over my own. I'll read it again, and then we can say it together, because I know that practice will help it stick in your brain. Now, let's put some of those pathways in your brain. If you want to try this exercise for the next week or so. God, I know your ways are not my ways, and I know you love me, so help me to choose your will over my own. Let's practice that. This will be our closing prayer. Okay, so if you want to, pray this with me. God, I know your ways are not my ways, and I know you love me, so help me to choose your will over my own. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.